Hello, my friends, and welcome back to the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn, Glenn Seepert. I'm your host, and this is episode number 183, and it's part number 17 of our series, Instant Replay, where we are looking back over our top 20 favorite episodes. We've got, what, three more? 18, I can't count. 18, 19, 20. We've got three more to go uh, to take us into the middle of January, and then we got some new stuff cooking up some stuff was already recorded some things are being recorded we have some new ideas some new guests we are cooking up some new heretical ideas uh so get ready uh saturday this coming saturday is christmas day so merry christmas to you if you celebrate christmas um if you don't merry happy whatever it is that you do have done uh may this season bring you lots of peace and lots of joy and uh, may you feel the love here from the What If Project. Also on Saturday, I haven't talked about it too much uh, on the podcast, but I don't know if you've heard through the grapevine, but on Saturday is the pre-order date for my book. Holy crap. <laughs> I wrote a book. I did. Uh, it's called Rethinking Everything, uh, subtitled A Spiritual Journey from Black and White Thinking to a World of color. It is a self-published book. Uh, the release date will be January 25th, which is my 40th birthday. Uh, so I started this book two years ago and I, I worked on it, worked on it, worked on it, picked it up during the pandemic, worked on it some more, put it away. Uh, then this past uh, August, September, when I quit my job to do this, I was like, I got to finish this book because I got things to say and I got to get them out. And so I did it to get the manuscript done. And I decided to self-publish it because I wanted it done quickly so I could put it out on my 40th birthday. Uh, but also, I, it's a very personal book, and I, I talk about it in the foreword. Um, nobody's read it yet, by the way. <laughs> I haven't gotten any endorsements because I didn't ask anybody to read it. I literally just put this thing together, uh, did some editing myself, hired somebody to do the formatting. Uh, I even designed the cover, all the different things. Uh, it's a very personal work for me because uh, it is my spiritual journey. Um, I talk in there about my my kind of journey from the world of evangelicalism to where I am now. And I, I kind of take a look at four uh, big topics that have been very important to me uh, in my journey. So we talk about hell, talk about LGBTQ inclusion, we talk about biblical inerrancy, we talk about the cross. So we talk about four really big topics and we rethink them. We go from black and white thinking a very colorful world <laughs> and it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna be a relief to some people it's gonna be a burden to others because some people are gonna read this and say this guy has a master's of divinity <laughs> and a doctorate and this is what he's come up with it's gonna be wild it's gonna be a lot of different thoughts about it but i'm excited about it uh, i have the final uh, man as, I, as i'm recording this uh, the manuscript is done i'm just waiting on the final file uh, for the the cover, then I can upload. It's gonna be on Amazon. I can upload it to Amazon, and it can be purchased from there. Uh, so I'm excited. I'm gonna probably have a hard copy in my hand uh, before the pre-order date, so I can see it, hold it. Uh, it's gonna be available on soft cover and hard cover because I'm a hard cover guy. I like the hard cover book, and so it's gonna be available in both options for you. Uh, Kindle probably a little bit later. Not really gonna be right away. A lot of people said you should do Kindle because more people will buy it. I don't really care who buys it, to be honest with you. I really don't care. Uh, I thought to myself, if I do Kindle, 
Um, it's probably gonna get more people to buy it. But also, I feel like if you order a hard copy, you're like invested in it. And that's what I want. I want people to read it who are going to be invested in it. Like if you, if I if I go to Amazon and order a book, have it shipped to my house, it's because I really want the book and I'm interested in what this book has to say. Whereas sometimes I have a lot of books on my Kindle that I've just downloaded and I hate them. I had no real interest in it. I just wanted to see what the book was about and then I've never read it again. So I, I, want, I want people to buy the book who are going to be invested in the book. So I, I'm only doing hardcover, softcover for now. Maybe we'll do Kindle somewhere down the road. I don't know. Uh, we'll see. But I'm excited. I'm pumped. I'm amped. I'm ready to go. Release it into the world. And then we'll get cooking on something else. I got other ideas brewing in the back of my head for the next work, whatever that's going to be. Uh, so we'll see where the journey takes us. But anyway, all that to say, today's episode is a, a look back on a conversation I had with Elaine Pagels. Um, Elaine Pagels wrote a book, a bunch of books, uh, one of them called The Gnostics, where she looks at the uh, Gnostic Christians and the Gnostic texts um, and some of the the books that have been lost, the letters that have been lost. They were deemed to be heretical, and so they were said to be destroyed, but uh, some people save them. We have them. So she talks all about that in this book. But she also wrote a book called Why Religion, which is really a uh, reflection on her life. And what I love about Elaine is that she's a very spiritual woman. Like a lot of people told me that when you study the Gnostic text, it's going to take you away from God. You know, you're going to study the Nag Hammadi scriptures. You're going to study the, the Gnostic texts. You're going to study all this stuff, you know, Bart Ehrman, all these people. It's going to take you away from God. But for Elaine... It's done the opposite. Uh, She talks in the episode about how this has helped deepen her faith, broaden her understanding of God and Christ and Jesus, and has really made her, she feels, a better Christian. And so I love that because I am fascinated with these Gnostic texts. Like I have had so many people tell me they're garbage, you know, they, they get all this stuff wrong in there, whatever. Nobody really has it right to begin with, right? So let's start there. But there's so many things in here. Like I read some of these texts. I'm like, man, I can feel, I can feel Jesus Christ, whatever, the divine calling to me from these pages. And I love them. I love them. I almost wish, I almost wish that they had like a, an actual Bible. Like I'm not talking like a real, like leather bound Bible that was like the four gospels along with all these other gospel texts that we have, all these other stories about Jesus. I wish we could compile them all into one nice-looking Bible book. <laughs> I know they have, I have like hardcover books, stuff like that with all these, but I want like an actual, like this looks like a Bible kind of thing. So who knows? Maybe they'll come out with that one day. Maybe, maybe I can make a suggestion to somebody and they'll do it. I, I don't know. But anyway, I love these books. I love these texts. I think they're really cool. And I love this conversation with Elaine. I think you will enjoyed as well. I'm trying to get her back on uh, for 2022 because we have a lot more things to talk about. You'll, you'll see at the end of the episode, uh, she mentions about maybe collaborating on some different things. So trying to make that happen. We're trying to stir up the waters and see what kind of uh, stuff that we can cook up here in 2022 uh, with Elaine Pagel. So uh, in the show notes, we have Patreon, Buy Me a Coffee, if this has encouraged you, inspired you in your faith. Those are two places to go to support the show uh, financially. Special music is from my friend Young Citizen. Uh, He's a hip-hop artist in Charlotte, North Carolina, doing great and amazing things. We work together at Apple. Um, He's doing his thing. I'm doing my thing. And uh, he's a really great guy, very encouraging, a really good spirit, and a really good 
put really good vibes into the world. So go to iTunes, go to Spotify, go to all the places, download it, share it, pass it along. And uh, all that to say, like I said, episode 183, part 17 of Instant Replay. And it's my conversation with Elaine Pagels. Enjoy. Wake up, get your morning started. Drinking daily coffee, got this money on my mind. The sun ain't always shining, but it's brighter days ahead. It gonna get started, we can do what we wanna way up. Wake up, wake up, get your morning started. Drinking daily coffee, got this money on my mind. The sun ain't always shining, but it's brighter days ahead. Way up, way up, way up. Got myself to see the big picture. You not alone, I'm right there with ya. Trust me, get up. Guess I gotta be more stricter. Keep my head up, getting more slicker. I know, yeah. Gotta move my feet, put in the motion. I know that every door I walk up to is bound to open. Wish it all could be so easy. I insert a token. Hit that thing of both. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, today, we're joined by a brand new guest. Uh, her name is Elaine Pagels, and she's best known for uh, books like the Gnostic Gospels, uh, Beyond Belief, Why Religion. Reading Judas and so many more. And so, Elaine, uh, welcome to the podcast. I'm super excited to talk with you. Thank you. I'm happy to be here, Glenn. Thank you. So, I have all of your books um, in front of me on my shelf. We're going to need an Elaine Pagel shelf uh, pretty soon for all of your books. But I'm going to try to direct my questions to uh, three main areas. So, number one, uh, the Gnostics. Number two, uh, the Gnostic scriptures, in particular, the Gospel of Judas, because that's super new to me. And then lastly, number three, I have a little bit more of a personal question for you. Um, after reading, I guess my, my late night reading through your, through your memoir, uh, Why Religion? And we obviously could spend, I don't know, 50 episodes doing all of those different questions, but we'll see how deeply we can drill down in the time that we have. Um, but first though, maybe for our listeners who aren't too familiar with you, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and who are you and what do you do? Uh, a general intro to Elaine Pagels. Well, thank you. Um, well, I grew up in California mm -hmm. in a sort of nominally Christian family, although my father had given it all up for Darwin as soon as he discovered the theory of evolution and decided religion was just for people who were not educated and they didn't know about science. So it was very condescending and kind of a snobbish attitude. And But I loved most of all stories, poems, music, dance, and especially poems, stories, music, and dance that had to do with what I call a spiritual dimension. It could be Christian, it could be a, a bar mitzvah with amazing singing by a, a cantor in a synagogue. It could be a Hopi dances on the reservations. Not that I participate equally in those because Christianity is my cultural context. Your home, yeah. <laughs> and it's where my home and it's where I um, engage the most and where I struggle the most with questions about it. Mm. Um, and when I was about 14, I was taken to a Billy Graham crusade without knowing much about what it was. Mm. And it was absolutely stunning. Mm. I thought the preacher was amazing. Uh, he spoke about America in a way I'd never heard anyone talk about it as a country that had used hydrogen bombs to destroy hundreds of thousands of people in Japan and uh, a country that had segregation and slavery. I mean, 
my parents were very patriotic, so I'd never heard anyone speak that way. Sure. As a kind of prophet, he was quoting the prophet Isaiah, mm. saying, ah, sinful nation. I think, what? <laughs> that was very interesting. <laughs> Startled me. And then he <laughs> gave the altar call and said, you know, you can be born again and become a new person. And I was 14. And I thought, that sounds irresistible. Yeah. yeah you know? Yeah. You want a new life. You want independence at that age. It's a great age to be converted, actually. Sure. So I just absolutely loved it. I went down and had the altar call and it was and got very much involved in an evangelical group for about a year. Mm. Um, it was very compelling. And it opened up it, it opened up the world to me. It was like mm. I'd lived in a one-dimensional flat earth <laughs> with no depth in it. Yeah. But this sort of gave a spiritual dimension to it. Yeah. And that was powerful. You put on those like 3D glasses and all of a sudden. Pew, right? Yeah. And <laughs> it, it is. It's, it's, it's like your, your life can, it can live on a much larger canvas. Yeah. Right? And now, and now what do you, what do you do? Like, where's your life now? Well, I, I left that group at a certain point mm -hmm. out of deep disappointment with an event that contradicted what I had loved about it. Sure. Uh, I'd been told it was about the love of God. Mm -hmm. And when a high school friend of mine was killed in an automobile accident, um, and, and I went back to my evangelical friends, they said, well, that's terrible. I mean, was he born again? And I said, no, he was Jewish. And they sort of looked at me and said, well, then he's in hell. And I just felt like I'd been hit in the stomach. And yeah. I was so stunned and saddened. I just walked out of there and never went back. Yeah. But years later, I kept thinking there's something there that was very important, very powerful. Hmm. Was it Christianity? Was it religion? Could it have been any religion? I didn't know. Something, yeah. So I went back to graduate school to find out what do we really know about Jesus? Hmm. How do we know? How did this movement start anyway? And how did it become what it became? And to my real astonishment, the professors where I went to graduate school were looking at a whole secret library of gospels that I'd never heard about. Mm. We, we called them the Gnostic gospels because we didn't know what to call them. They just weren't the New Testament gospels. Although there are enormous amounts of overlap with the Gospels of Matthew and Luke and John. Mm. But they were not in the New Testament canon as we have it now. And some of them spoke to me very deeply. One of them is the Gospel of Thomas. And half of that, it's only, it's only 14 pages. Mm. And it's not meant to replace the other Gospels, Glenn. It's meant to be an amplification like of a what you find there yeah like a supplement yes mm -hmm. an addition mm -hmm. because the gospels of the new testament as you know they offer the public teaching of jesus you know jesus is outdoors and there are thousands of people and he speaks and some of the things he said were written down by people who probably worked hard to remember them sure and then later wrote them down. Yeah. And they're in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, mm -hmm. Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount, and Luke 6 and 7. Mm -hmm. um, 
very famous teaching, very important teaching. But these other gospels claim to be what Jesus didn't preach in public. Mm. They claim to tell you what he said in private when he was alone with his disciples. Mm. And Mark says in chapter four, that when he was alone with his disciples, he spoke to them and only to them about the mystery of the kingdom of God. Mm. But Mark really doesn't tell you what that means. Mark just says, well, he only spoke to outsiders in parables and Mark gives you mainly parables. Sure. And this, this, some of these other sources claim to give you secret teaching. We don't really know if they do, but the gospel of Thomas struck me very deeply. Yeah. That seems to be the one that's the most, it's like the odd one because I, when I first heard about it, I was expecting stories, like you said, and then you, you open it up and it's just all these sayings and a lot of them are very familiar because a lot of them are found in the gospels i'm familiar with but some of them are not uh but i had a friend who said to me you know when you start reading some of the gnostic texts like you'll know the voice of the shepherd in the text like something like when when you're reading it and something strikes you as oh this is something that jesus most certainly would say like you'll just know it in your spirit if that's if that's part of your past well actually half there's only in that in Thomas is just a list of 140, 14 sayings. And half of them are almost identical with what you find in the Sermon on the Mount, Mm -hmm. in Matthew and the Sermon on the Plain in Luke. Um, The other half are other kinds of sayings. And Mm -hmm. I felt deeply affected by them, particularly the one in which Jesus says, if you bring forth what is within you, what you bring forth will save you. if you do not bring forth what is within you, what you do not bring forth will destroy you. And I took that as a psychological statement Mm -hmm. because I think it has truth on that level. And later I came to see it was a theological statement Mm. about all of us being created in the image of God as Genesis 1, 26 and 27 says. God creates humankind in his image. And it speaks about the image of God, not as a physical phenomena, but as a kind of energy that could only be described in a metaphor as light, mm. which, which has a sort of visible and yet it's, it's a spiritual energy. Sure, sure. Yeah. And so, you know, it's a very powerful gospel. And I thought it was consistent with the teachings I'd found in the others. And mm. yet it goes uh to another level it seemed to me and and so but many people said well wait a minute these gospels aren't in the new testament this has got to be garbage (laughs) and and some people that's what i was taught (laughs) well you were taught that my my writings were dangerous well they were were because (laughs) if you if you insist that jesus said nothing that isn't in the new testament well Mm -hmm. the gospel of john says jesus said many things that weren't in the new testament that's right but they weren't all written down. <laughs> yeah. um, the world would not contain all of the books it would take. Well, that could be a little exaggeration, but nevertheless, the point is there was a lot else. Yeah. yeah. And so we don't know, yeah. but they did speak to me very deeply. Yeah, absolutely. So let me ask you some questions about um, the Gnostics. We, we've already used that, that word. And I find this term to be very, very confusing because I grew up hearing that basically the Gnostics were this evil group of people because they were bent on leading 
Christians away from the true Orthodox yeah. Christianity that was handed down from Jesus and the apostles. But, you know, then I, I finished, I got out of seminary and I started to do my own study, your work, uh, David Brackey, uh, Bart Ehrman, Karen King, and others. And I discovered that various scholars seemed to have various ideas about who the Gnostics were, um, what Gnosticism is, and what Gnosticism entails. Like, there seems to be a lot of ambiguity around this, this topic. So I was wondering if you could help us maybe get our feet a little bit wet in this topic. Like, for you, who were the Gnostics, and what does the term Gnosticism entail? Well, it's a really tough question, as you know, mm. because like you, I mean, I was told the Gnostic Gospels, that means they're the bad ones, right? Right, the bad ones, exactly. Um, <laughs> and the ones that are that don't belong, and they're, they're yeah. obviously fake. The word in Greek means, Gnosis means insight. Mm -hmm. And when you read second century fathers of the church, like Clement of Alexandria, um, who's one of the major fathers of the Christian church, um, he uses the term Gnostic to mean a Christian with with especially deeper insight. Mm -hmm. And that's the way the term was used in the second century. But later it was taken by people who disliked any of these claims to secret teaching mm -hmm. as a very pejorative word. So they intended to tell you it's dangerous, it's wrong, it's heresy, it's, it's, uh, it's leading you astray. Now, heresy... The Greek word means choice. There's nothing really wrong with choice from some points of view. Yeah. But some of the bishops didn't want people to have choice. They wanted to say, what we tell you is absolutely the truth, and that's it. You have no choice about it. It's our way or the highway. <laughs> exactly. And that's, that's the way many Christians see their convictions yeah many muslims do mm -hmm. orthodox jews orthodox means straight thinking mm. i always compare it with orthodontia which means straight teeth but right. straight thinking <laughs> means you have to think the way we do and what they meant by straight thinking is what the church teaches publicly mm. and that nothing considered private teaching was accepted by certain fathers of the church because you can't really verify it mm -hmm. yeah. from several sources, which is a, a way of trying to figure out if something is a verifiable saying, you know? Mm. So it is hard to verify. Yeah. Cause I feel like every book I pick up, it describes it in a different way. Like there's some that describe it as it's one small branch of Christianity. There's many other branches. Others kind of talk about it as it's this almost like this umbrella term for a whole bunch of different branches. And some say we should get rid of the term altogether. So like I was opening up books, hoping to find a single answer. And instead I got a whole bunch of different answers. What you're getting are sequential answers because Gnostic from the second century to the 20th pretty mm -hmm. much meant don't read this stuff. Right. Stay away. <laughs> but when we found these other texts, mm -hmm. they weren't called Gnostics. They didn't call themselves that. Um, and, and Karen King began to look at, and, and also Michael Williams at the University of Seattle, mm -hmm. began to look at these and say, wait a minute, the term Gnosticism was made up in the 19th century. Mm -hmm. 
these people didn't call themselves Gnostics, they called themselves Christians. Mm -hmm. um, but it becomes a negative word when people are trying to narrow down which books you're supposed to read and which books you're supposed to throw away. But, you know, Glenn, if you look at Jewish tradition, mm -hmm. Hindu tradition, Buddhist tradition, um, any religious tradition you, you consider, there would be uh, an exoteric version for, for the primary things you learn first, and there would be an esoteric tradition. In, in Judaism, it's Kabbalah, the mystical tradition. In Islam, it's sometimes, uh, what do they call it? Uh, is it Sunni? That there are secret traditions. Mm. In Hinduism and Buddhism, in Buddhism, there's Tantra. So these are usually mystical traditions, and they're considered advanced level. Mm. And you're not supposed to learn those things until you've been thoroughly schooled in the others. Mm -hmm. Because the others are meant for basic teaching about what you believe and about how to act. Sure. And that makes sense. Mm -hmm. These mystical teachings in Jewish tradition, you're not supposed to read any of that stuff until you're 37. And then presumably, and only then if you're a man. Um, so by then you're supposed to have enough sense to discriminate. Right. Um, but in Christian tradition, there was a taboo yeah. on talking about mystical tradition. The mm -hmm. Orthodox Christians, like Orthodox Greek churches, mm -hmm. Orthodox Ethiopic, Coptic in Egypt, they speak about secret traditions, which say, Catholic tradition rejected and Protestant tradition grows out of that, mm. which has a kind of taboo mm. on what you think of as mystical teaching. I mean, you could have a mystical experience, but if you're in a Catholic church, mm -hmm. it has to agree with the church's teaching mm. completely. And, it, and the clergy will pass on it. Mm -hmm. And the same mm. is true in Protestant churches. So, the trouble with secret teaching is it can be quite diverse and you have to discriminate. Yeah. And orthodoxy was made to sort it out for you. Yeah. And I guess, I guess it would be easy. Like if the church is trying, I'm thinking back like in the early, early church when the church is really beginning to form and it becomes, you know, Constantine makes, you know, Christianity makes it okay in the Roman empire. And I'm assuming, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it'd be much easier for church leaders and bishops and things like that to really push the, exoteric tradition because you can control that you can control what people do you can kind of manipulate people to do certain things but the esoteric gives people maybe too much freedom if they're going to be going internal to do their own discovery so i would think it'd be easier to build an institution or a system so to speak on an exoteric tradition than on an esoteric tradition am i on to well, something there exactly and yeah. And Constantine knew that. I mean, when he became a Christian, he asked his, his right-hand man, the bishop Eusebius, get me copies of the scriptures. And Eusebius had to sort of figure out which, which ones to use. Right. And he, he chose the ones that were most familiar, mm -hmm. the gospels that were read a great deal. These, the gospel of Thomas was also read a great deal, but it claimed to be a secret text. So that was out. Um, and then he said, okay, you, as you know, all the bishops have to come to my summer palace in Nicaea mm -hmm. and make a decision. What do we believe? Yeah. What are we going to talk about? So they create the Nicene Creed. Mm -hmm. And then 
the two people who refused to sign it, I believe in one God, Father, Almighty, Maker of Heaven, you know, the whole creed the whole that yards, Catholic, yeah. <laughs> Catholics, Lutherans, Episcopalians all use. Yeah. Um, those who refused to sign it were excommunicated, not only from the church, but they were told they'd be in eternal hell. And, and that's that's rather the way many Christians have played it ever since. I mean, one bishop who really wanted to preserve a certain Orthodox tradition said, outside the church, there's no salvation. Mm. And that's why it's dangerous to talk about these others, because, well, they're just untested products, so to speak. <laughs> right, right. And some could lead you astray, and, yeah. and, and they're diverse. Mm. So there's a problem there. Mm. But I think many scholars now would say, well, if you want to understand how the early Christian movement developed, excluding those many other sources we now know about, gives you only a sort of narrow stream of what Christi the Christian movement was. Sure. Now we, we need to expand it because it's much, you, you can embrace Orthodox tradition, but if you know what the other alternatives were, it makes much mm -hmm. more sense actually. So what happened then? Like why, I mean, I'm sure you, there's books on this, but what, 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 what happened to these like the Gnostic branches? Like why did Orthodoxy, what was the big reason why Orthodoxy kind of won the race, so to speak? Like what, what made that get such so much stronger, whereas the others seem to have just disappeared? Well, the Orthodox answer to that is because it's true and truth lasts longer. However, there's another way of looking at it. Mm -hmm. When Constantine became a Christian and he found which scriptures to read and he had a, a list of doctrines, he then opened the imperial treasuries of Rome to the bishops of the Orthodox Church. Mm -hmm. They then built the Vatican church they built the church of the holy sepulcher in jerusalem they built hagia sophia which means holy wisdom in constantinople mm -hmm. magnificent beautiful churches enormously wealthy mm -hmm. and the others got um no financial support they were um they were blocked in many ways uh they're places of worship were confiscated. They were, mm. it was complete shutdown on the government's part mm. uh, against the groups that were not part of the Orthodox church. So basically it's like, if I'm hearing you right, it's like, if you don't come in line with this way of understanding or these doctrines, whatever, you don't get the money. We, we cut you off. Well, if you were the Bishop of Egypt, say yeah. of Alexandria, mm -hmm. as Athanasius was, um, when suddenly you as a Christian are not being persecuted yeah. and, and your life in danger because you're a Christian, suddenly you're an Orthodox Bishop of Alexandria. You, you have an enormous influx of money mm -hmm. in your treasury and you have all political power. You can be a judge in civil cases. You can be part of the administration. Mm -hmm. It's now the Holy Roman empire. Mm -hmm. So you can become politically powerful in Alexandria, you could be the most powerful man in the entire city and the richest. Yeah. But if you're a member of those other groups, you're frozen out, you're, you, you are taxed enormously, yeah. uh, and you can be a fugitive. So that's 
that's how you encourage orthodoxy. It's one way. That's something that you just don't, I mean, like I said, when I, you know, growing up, I just heard it was orthodoxy was just what was handed down from the apostles and, you know, the Holy, the Holy spirit, you know, kind of inspired everybody along the way. And here we are. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) Absolutely. And, and there are other versions of that because (laughs) some of those groups that were excluded, for example, I mean, they would say, well, these heretics, they, they, they don't believe in one God. They, they have all kinds of weird ideas about, they, they, they hate the body. Well, that's not the case for a lot of these sources. These are just as monotheistic as any others. And some of them are quite consistent with, uh, with Orthodox sources. If you read the Gospel of Thomas, along with Matthew, mm-hmm. along with Mark, along with Luke, you can see them as, a, as, as an expansion of your access to teachings of Jesus. Yeah. And they're not contradictory. Mm-hmm. But uh, there are some texts, because it's a very mixed collection, mm-hmm. they're not all Gospels at all. Um, some are texts of people who said they'd have revelations that are different. Um, some of these texts are different. Mm-hmm. But anyway, the Orthodox Church just said basically, don't touch any of that stuff. It's just too... Um, it raises too many questions. And yeah. one famous father of the church, one of my favorites, Tertullian, said, well, just don't ask questions. Question, <laughs> questions are what make people heretics, he said. He would hate this podcast. He would hate this podcast. Questions are dangerous. Yeah. Well, he, would, he, he wouldn't approve of you at all. No. <laughs> that's what make people heretics, asking questions like those. Yeah, that's right. So uh, you, you talk about how these, these texts that were considered dangerous. So one of the big ones um, that's really recently come to my attention is the Gospel of Judas. And uh, you wrote a book with, with Karen King about this. And if I'm not mistaken, the Gospel of Judas is a relatively new find, right? A relatively new discovery in the 2000s. Am I correct on that? It was well, or made available, I should say. Yes, because we knew there was a text called that. Yeah. As early as a hundred years after the death of Jesus, approximately. But somebody called something the gospel of Judas or the gospel of Thomas or the gospel of Philip or the gospel of Mary Magdalene. We didn't know what they were. Right. Um, But only fragments of that were discovered and came to light in 2005 and after. And I was part of a team. And so was Bart Ehrman and Karen King and others that the national geographic who bought this text um, probably bought illegally on the, on the, uh, black market Mm. because i don't think national geographic did it illegally they were told something different um that came on the market now the gospel of judas is a is a gospel that suggests that jesus himself who appears in the gospel is critical of the 12 apostles Mm. because they're encouraging martyrdom Mm. they're encouraging you if you have children not to prevent your children for, from getting killed because they're Christians. I couldn't help thinking, Glenn, about Muslim parents who might be told by some imams, radical imams, that your 15-year-old should put on a suicide vest and, and, and become a martyr because that's what God wants. And you know, and, and some people would say, well, all right, if that's what God wants. And, and when those 
young people go into a market and blow themselves up and kill 20 people, their lives, their families are not to mourn. They're supposed to celebrate. They get money from, from the group that supports this. Mm. That happens today, right? Yeah. But this was a that was a text that I think was concerned about bishops encouraging young people to get martyred. Mm. And it's probably a late text. And it pictures the 12 apostles, some of whom, of course, did die as martyrs, yeah. um, encouraging that. I don't think it's a very interesting text, mm -hmm. um, spiritually speaking. Mm -hmm. I think it had a purpose at the time. Mm. So it's important to read it in the context that it was like, what was going, what, what was the big question, I guess, in the yeah. air at the time? Yeah. I mean, that's as close as Karen King and I could come sure. to what was going on in the mind of the writers. Mm -hmm. It wasn't written by Judas Iscariot, but then, you know, none of the gospels that we know, we don't know who wrote them actually. They're, you know, the titles aren't meant to be author. This, mm -hmm. the gospel according to Matthew could be, Matthew is your teacher. And so you say, well, this is what our teacher taught. Right. This is the gospel as Matthew taught it. This is mm -hmm. the gospel as Luke taught it. And they have variations, as you know, but they're not, they're not totally different. You could equally take the gospel as Thomas heard it from Jesus. Mm. Um, and that particular gospel, as I say, I go back to that one because I find it uh, deeply congruent with the teachings of the gospels in the new Testament. Mm. And yet it goes further, but just as you say, what makes it offensive to Orthodox Christians and bishops who are trying to control the flow of information mm -hmm. and say, this is the church. This is the only way, just believe what we tell you. Um, is this the idea that what you find within yourself uh, is a connection with God because you're created in his image. Mm. And therefore you could, you can find your way back to God by seeking within yourself. Yeah. Um, and that is a teaching that bishops don't like because they mm. want to be in control of the message. Yeah. yeah. And it means you can kind of freelance mm. spiritually and find your way back to God. That is not a message that a leader of any church or most churches would endorse. Yeah. And that's, it's so funny. Cause like, I feel like I'm on this journey now where I'm on this, in this place of self discovery. And I feel like I've, I've looked inside a lot to really ask myself, what has my experience with God taught me about God? Yeah. And a lot of that stuff has taken me in places that uh, are much different than how I was raised in a very conservative evangelical tradition. And that's received a lot of the, a lot of the kickback. But in these, in this time that I'm in, I feel almost closer to God than like I've ever felt before. Like I feel like I've evolved to places with God that I just, I, I just, I didn't have access to when I was just going by the book, so to speak. Like I was just trying to stay in line with the boundaries and stay in line with the certain thing that I was allowed to read and wasn't allowed to read and was allowed to think about, not allowed to think about. And now that I've kind of it blew up that box, <laughs> so to speak, uh, it's just taken me to these wonderful places. Well, actually, Glenn, that is the experience of many people. And when I encountered the Gospel of Thomas, I've, and many people have said to me, now I can really be a Christian mm. because it's not just a matter of believing. Yes. A bunch of statements in a creed because these texts 
are not so much about what do you believe? Do you believe in God? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe that Jesus was born of a virgin? It's not, yeah. those aren't the questions. The question is, what is your experience? Who are you? Mm. How do you understand who you are? Do you sense a connection with a divine mm. source? And that's what you're talking about. Now, you know, and I know, and everybody knows, that some people say, well, I hear the voice of God, and it told me to kill my family. Mm. You know, I mean, there are people who claim revelation for atrocious acts, mm. right? Yeah. And so that's why it is, it's not without risk. Yeah. It is, like to you said, look it, at it, these it, other sources. Yeah, it is dangerous. Like you said, it is dangerous. I think you said in the email, it is dangerous. Your work. I said it's dangerous, it and that's why it matters. Because, that's why it matters. Yeah. Because it opens up. Yeah. It can open you to your own experience, but there are people for whom that can be dangerous. Yeah. And oh. and yet, for so many others, it means that I can love the Christian tradition in a way that I couldn't if I thought it was limited to that narrow stream that calls itself Orthodox. Mm. I go to a wonderful Episcopal church, which I love, which says the creed and follows the traditions. Mm. Um, these traditions are inherently conservative. Mm. I love a lot about that church, um, but it's not closed to yeah. these other sources, as I understand it. But there are many churches that are, and that people are genuinely afraid mm. of going out of the boundaries, right? Because mm. um, there are unknown territories and dragons, and yeah. and they, they, they drag you down into hell. I mean, that's the kind of threat that's been part of the tradition forever. Yeah, I've heard a lot of those, <laughs> a lot of those threats, for sure. Um, so how is this, like, you talk about how you said in the email exchange that we had that you speak of these things, not as an outsider, but as a participant. And I think that's super fascinating to me because a lot of the people that I have come across in these conversations are on the outside. Maybe they were part of the faith. They left the faith. Now they just kind of look at this strictly in a historical way. But I think that you're so unique because especially reading like your memoir and things like that, you really look at it from a very personal place it seems like it's really formed your faith. So I'm curious, like, what are some of the bigger things that your personal work and study and the Gnostics and Gnosticism and the texts, what are some specific ways that your faith has been formed or deepened as a result of your own personal study? Well, I've put the word Gnosticism aside and just, I talk about other Christian gospels mm -hmm. and some of them I find very powerful and compelling and others not. And I'm sure you would find that too if you look at all of those texts from that were found with these sources. Yeah. Um, they're not of equal value, it seems to me. Mm -hmm. um, but some of them do speak, and they you can see, for example, why the Gospel of Mary Magdalene would be um, shunned by Orthodox teachers because they haven't allowed women to have positions of preaching or teaching within Christian churches for nearly yeah. 2000 years. And the idea that Mary Magdalene might have been such a person had to be rejected. Now, what would we ever do? <laughs> right? <laughs> oh no. <laughs> and you know, in that text, um, Peter says, well, I don't believe Jesus ever spoke to her this way. I think she's just talking strange ideas. And she says, 
my brother Peter, do you think I just made this up? Do you think I'm just lying about the Lord? And he basically does. And the others say, Peter, you always get angry. Just stop it. <laughs> and and she goes out to become an evangelist with him. And that is why it's not in the New Testament. Yeah. But so that has changed my view about women in the early Christian movement. Um, but more deeply, it it suggests that spiritual life is is not simple. It's not easy. Yeah. It's good to have guidance about how to start. And that's what the Orthodox tradition was meant to do. Yeah. And what that's what regular tradition does for Jews and Muslims and Buddhists. It gives you guidelines, okay? You need guidelines. Sure. But then they stop and say, okay, now stop. <laughs> As you know, one of the heresy hunters says, Well, if you found the faith, what else do you need? Just stop, <laughs> stop asking questions. Right there. Right. We've got the answers. Just yeah. stop. Yeah. But these encourage you to keep on a spiritual search because it is hard and there is more to discover. Yeah. And I find that very compelling. And what it does to me is what it's done to you. It leads you into your own questions and your own experiences to say what is valid for you that's right what what really deeply resonates is true and yeah. some of these sources deeply do mm -hmm. and i feel they they are enhancing and, and and deepening what i understand about the faith but that it's not just belief it's more about experience see gnosis is not is not about believing believing is beginning on the path yeah. gnosis is about insight hmm. which means that's what happens to you yeah. as you develop spiritually so it's it's meant to be a different level and it's not for beginners hmm. so you begin and in one place but then you go a little bit deeper you can yeah. go further and yeah. it's meant just as in jewish tradition you don't start with mystical tradition hmm. you start with with uh, dietary laws and sexual laws and <laughs> And, and basic beliefs, the Lord your God is one God. I mean, and then later, maybe, you go into these very powerful sources that can lead you into very different kinds of spiritual experience. Yeah. yeah. But it's, so that's what I think is possible. And I think it's, the other thing, Glenn, is that so many people like you and like me feel they have to leave Christianity because it tries to put blinders on them or tell them what questions they should never ask. Right. I've heard people say, my minister said, don't ever ask questions like that. <laughs> or no, you know, you can't read that sort of thing. That's yeah. So when they have that experience, they say, okay, well, Christianity is just a bunch of things that the church makes you, tells you you have to believe. Yeah. I don't want to have anything to do with it. Yeah. Um, my father left it because he felt that it was contrary to um, to science, mm. and of course it's not. But but it, but what he was dealing with was a kind of church that would not allow him sure. to think about Darwin or mm. scientific discovery. Yeah. And and that's to me a tremendous loss because. I can't now imagine living without a spiritual dimension in my life, especially because of the events that I wrote about in that book. Yeah. yeah. Without a spiritual dimension. I mean, I, I feel I would feel 
unmoored. And I, many people I know, most of my colleagues in the university have no use for what you're calling a spiritual dimension or what I'm calling a spiritual, but they don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. What, why, who needs that? Yeah. Religion is for people who have to have a bunch of answers thrown at them for things that are hard to understand. Yeah. It's like, we have the system, we have the answers, we have every, why do you need this? Why do you need that? Yeah. Over there. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of people will say, well, that's pretty limiting, you know? Yeah. And so they just reject the whole thing. And I think that's a great loss. So that's why I think opening up these sources and saying, well, take a look at them. You don't have to accept them. You can say, no, I don't, that one sounds wrong to me. Um, this one, this one sounds right. When yeah. I read one that talks about Jesus, as it's called, um, they, they, one of the texts calls Jesus a psychiatrist. But in, in Greek, mm. suke iatros means a healer of the soul. Mm. And he gives medicine to heal hearts. Mm. You've seen the image of Jesus there. It's, he's a physician. Yeah. Um, with medication to heal your heart. Mm. Now, I find that a very powerful image. Yeah. Because that's what psychiatrists are supposed to do, but they really can't. They stop short of that very often. They (laughs) could give you maybe medications, but healing the heart is another matter. Yeah. And that's what spiritual teachers claim to do. Some some might be able to help, Mm -hmm. and others may really lead you astray. So. Wow. It takes discernment, and that's hard. Mm. Discernment of in the early church, they talked about the problem of discernment of spirits. That is, they asked spiritual masters, "How do you know when a vision is from God, or when it's leading you astray, when it's from Satan?" And one of the great spiritual teachers, Anthony of Egypt, said, "Well, a demonic spirit may look wonderful at first." Mm-hmm. But after a while, it will leave you depressed and anxious and fearful. Mm. And, a, and a spirit from God may terrify you at first. But later, it will bring you calm and peace in your, in your soul. And he said, that's how you can tell what is from God and what is not. Mm. That's interesting. I was thinking of that parallel in relation to a lot of these texts because some of the times there it is terrifying. Like when I first opened up some of these, some of these texts, I was like, my goodness, you know, like uh, what, what am I reading? And then to your point, there is a sense of peace that oftentimes comes a little bit later. Well, the gospel of Thomas opens by saying, let the person who's seeking not stop seeking until he finds when he finds, he'll be astonished and troubled, troubled. Wow. And, and then he will come to be master of it. Yeah. I mean, then he will come to a place of uh, acceptance and understanding yeah. after being troubled and disturbed, mm-hmm. yeah. but not without that. And, and some people get very unnerved by the deep waters of spiritual exploration, and, and rightly so. Yeah, we want to avoid all the, I mean, we like to avoid those things because we want the very simple, we want to be able to follow the path and know where we're going and have the answers. And it's a sense of comfort. And I think when you encounter these 
internal things, these esoteric things, like you said before, it can be very unnerving because you don't know where it's going to lead you. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think that answer of St. Anthony um, has some truth in it that mm. you can be troubled at first and anxious and unsettled and unnerved. And then eventually it brings you to a place of greater resolution in some way or not. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So last question for you, because um, I, I don't want to keep you too long because I know you, you have a life you have to go and <laughs> you have a lot of things to do. Oh, and, and let me just say too, that <laughs> yeah. this has allowed me to enjoy and love participating in my church mm. because I don't feel confined by it mm. as I did in that church where they gave me an answer that so- sounded to me contrary to what, what they always talked about the love of God. Yeah. I think that's something that's freeing for people because I mean, I even think of the listener of this podcast, like a lot of them, I haven't been to church in a long, long time, uh, just because of that. Part of it's that very reason that just questions are not welcomed. And when you start to think outside of the certain boundaries that are set up for you, you know, you're frowned upon. And I just, I experienced, that was so much of my experience for so long. I just felt like I needed a break from that. But I think that going back to church, I think, would be thinking about what you're talking about with this. And just, you know, I feel like it's just it, it gives more freedom to operate within the institution that feels like it hurt me for so many years. I don't know if that makes any sense, but I'm trying to piece together what I'm trying to say here. But I feel like a lot of what you're saying gives me more freedom to step back into the institution with a much different perspective than I had when I came out of it. Well, it makes a lot of sense because many students, even at Princeton, say, well, if I take a course in, in early Christianity and I learn that, say, the Gospels weren't all written at the same time and they weren't dictated by an angel, <laughs> uh, they were written by people, um, then, then I realize that they're not important anymore. I'll lose my yeah, faith. Yeah. Um, and they realize after they study this that very often the opposite is true. Mm. Some people do opt out and some scholars do and they say well you see that's just because people in churches are just naive and 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 afraid Uh, they want somebody to tell them all the answers but some other people see it quite differently and most of my students understand if you're not hostile to the Christianity you're not trying to debunk it um you're trying to open it up yeah yeah and that's what these texts were originally for Yeah, that's really good. So last question for you. Um, Most of our listeners, a lot of our listeners are brought up in the conservative evangelical world. They're in this place, like I said, before we hit record, they're deconstructing, they're asking a lot of questions. They don't want to leave the faith, but they're rethinking the faith, the Bible, the cross, the atonement, all the things. And a lot of them have come up against some really harsh uh, kickback critique from their former tribe. Many have been outcasted altogether. So my question is, like, I'm sure that you've experienced that kickback. I, I imagine, and I've, I've read some articles of people's critique against your work. Oh, yes. and, yeah, like, I, I know you've been called heretic, blasphemer, things like that. But what is your advice for the person who's in that place where they're, they're trying to be a good steward of their spiritual journey? They're trying to widen the scope of their reading, the scope of their understanding, break through those, those boundaries that have been set up for them but they're coming against that kickback and everything in them wants to stop. But at the same time, everything in them wants to keep going. <laughs> what is your, what is your advice to that, that person? Well, that's, that's a good question. And you're right. I mean, 
somebody told me that on some websites I'm called Elaine Pagan, um, and they just they just think that one of them, who's a respected New Testament professor in Atlanta, basically said my mission is to destroy the church. And I thought that's so ignorant. Yeah. Um, it just seems to me that it's useful to see to what extent your own feelings are validated and talk to people you can trust who aren't going to say, well, you know, you're going to go to hell <laughs> um, if you read that. Because there's nothing in the teachings of Jesus that talks that way at all. Right. Nothing. No. I mean, the creed, you know, there were 300 years of a very vibrant early Christian community before there was a creed and before there was a, a New Testament that was closed. Yeah. They didn't have a creed. They didn't have a New Testament. It was called the way. Mm. The Christian movement was called not a church, well, ecclesia means an assembly, but it was called the way, hados in Greek, a path. Mm. And it was a path of experience that you, on which you can explore and test and and go slowly if you want. Yeah. And and I, I would think only speak to people whose intuition seems to you sound and wise and, and that you trust. Um, and some of them may be appalled that you're reading things they think you shouldn't read and they're very well-meaning mm -hmm. um and they're doing the best they can but they may have different spiritual needs than than others yeah. i think people are very different do you, you know the book of william james the varieties of religious experience i haven't heard of it now you've heard of it oh i haven't no yeah i'm gonna write it oh. down what was it again well read it <laughs> yeah this is a very famous book by william james William James was a psychologist. He was the brother of the writer Henry James. Um, he was in 1910, 1912. He was a psychologist, brought up Christian, and he fell into a very deep depression at one point when he was young. And he said he just didn't know how people could go on living being aware of death and being aware of annihilation and, the, and, and the, the darkness in the world. And he came out of the depression by holding on to sayings he'd learned, like the Lord is my refuge. He said it was like being in the ocean and you're about to drown. And he was holding on to these phrases like logs that keep him afloat. The Lord is my refuge, the Lord is my refuge in a time of trouble. And he said he came out of the depression. And after that, he, he wrote a book about called The Varieties of Religious Experience, talking about the fact that people have different spiritual needs and different ways of approaching a spiritual life. Some follow the way of Catholic saints. Some like the way of, of people who spontaneously have religious experience. That book is so powerful. Um, 
and he disguises his own experience in it. He doesn't admit that he had a mental breakdown, but he came to understand that there are many ways of experiencing conversion and spiritual life. Yeah. And it's a, it's a very important book. Um, another one that I like very much is the one by, is the one called uh, How God Becomes Real by Tanya Lerman, anthropologist. So these are about spiritual experience. And, yeah. and I think exploring those is very important. Yeah, that's good. That gives, gives a lot of freedom. That cuts off a lot of the, a lot of change people feel, Elaine. So, hey, thank you so much. This has been amazing, uh, but we are just about out of time. And uh, okay. I wish we weren't because I could talk to you literally all day. So maybe, maybe we could do this again sometime. I would really like that. I would enjoy that too, Glenn. Thank Good you. Talking to you. Yeah. And real quick, uh, where can people go? What's the best place to go to interact with you and your work online? Any, anywhere in particular? Well, I, you know, I have not really done social media much because I get so many, so much email, but I often do respond to people on email. You responded and, to me. <laughs> yeah. And I do because it matters to me when people are seeking. I mean, I'd be happy to talk to a lot of people or just, I'm going to write another book. Um, which is about Jesus. What do we know? Mm. And what don't, what don't we know about Jesus of Nazareth? Mm. How do we know what we think we know? Um, and how is it that there's so many different ways of understanding who Jesus was? Yeah. And then I, I hope to do a podcast or something like it. I just, I'm not tech savvy enough to do it yet, but I would like to do something like that. Well, I think we that would do be it together. <laughs> I think that would be wonderful. I'd be more than happy to do it with you. <laughs> well, you know, that's that that might be something to actually consider. There you go. Well, email me. <laughs> we'll figure it out for sure. All right, Elaine. Well, I'm going to uh, end our recording here, but this has right. been a lot of fun. And uh, thank you so much. Good talking with you. I wish. Wish I had a mansion. Wish I was dressed up fancy. Uh, wish I on a pot on some gold with the rainbow. I'm Pot of Tom Clancy. Wishing I had no debt, I maybe wish. then I can't flex. Going here to run, I'ma check. Wish I had no other same most beat, on my chest. Wishing for my people. Uh. Wish I had more better leaders. Have enough to make our own land. Name our own picture, we bring our own sand. Where we live is so bland. So I much wish. we're high on demand. Tiptoe around through and high lows. Feel like James I Brown, love we going here to dance. Let me talk. At the end of the day, we know who's at a fault. We got our hands up, ready for a box. Undisputed, got the old lock. Champion, go ahead, call the ambulance. So we said our own ambience. Dub TTG, train to go. Let's talk, no rambling. Wishing I had something foreign. Wishing I had something foreign. Knowing that I can afford it. Knowing that I can afford it. It's real love, it's real love. But I just ignore it. It's all love, it's all love. But I just ignore it. Wishing I had something foreign. Wishing I had something foreign. Wish I had red bottles on my feet, everything falls on me. Then I start clicking my heels to the ride, it is beat neat. Everyone to follow my speed. Let's close those more keys. Carolina Rose on freeze. Wishing I could fly to the keys. That will be more free. Something in my mind hit the dough. Put on my fresh fit. So, Sir Charles, let's go. We about to go and get it. Uh, let me talk. At the end of the day, we know who's at a fault. We got our hands up, ready for a box. 
Undisputed, get the own lot. Champions. Wishing I had something foreign. Wishing I had something foreign. Knowing that I can afford it. Knowing that I can afford it. It's real love. It's real love. But I just ignore it. It's all love. It's all love. But I just ignore it. Wishing I had something foreign. Wishing I had something foreign. Knowing that I can afford it. Knowing that I can afford it. It's real love. It's real love. But I just ignore it. It's all love. It's all love. But I just ignore it. Wish. Wish. King is giving a festival. I wish. wish.